following is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, good morning and welcome once again to Trinity Grace. We're so glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you'll want to turn it to Luke chapter 11 now. The passage is also printed for you in your worship folder. And kids, as always, we're very glad you're here. Hopefully you were able to pick up one of our kids' bulletins this morning on the welcome table. And I'd love for you to be listening for the following three things in the sermon this morning. First, I want you to be listening for the ways that it's good for all of us to be like a child. Second, I want you to be listening for how families would sleep during the time of Jesus. And third, I want you to be listening for a story about Alexander the Great. Why is it good for all of us to be like a child? How did families in the time of Jesus sleep? And listen for a story about Alexander the Great. Well, this morning we're picking back up in our fall sermon series, looking at the parables of Jesus. And we'll be wrapping this series up before Thanksgiving and then turning our attention in the Advent season to... um, a special four-part series looking at the four women who are listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. But this morning, as we focus our attention back on the parables of Jesus, we come to a parable that touches on one of the most important spiritual disciplines and means of grace, one of the most important activities we have in the Christian life, which is prayer. And as you read the Gospels, It's clear that Jesus wants his followers to know how to pray. He wants them to engage in prayer. He wants them to relate with God through prayer. In fact, the passage we're about to read follows right on the heels of Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. When the disciples ask Jesus to teach him to pray, Jesus gives them a simple heartfelt prayer that touches both on God's majesty and on his intimate care in their lives. It's a prayer that's referred to as the Lord's Prayer, and we just prayed it this morning. And after he teaches his disciples how to pray that prayer, he moved on to describe why they should pray, which is what our parable is all about this morning. And it's such an encouragement that Jesus is one who taught his followers how to pray and practically demonstrated what a vibrant prayer life looked like. After all, if you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus would often withdraw from the crowds. He would often wake up early in the morning. He would often um, go off so that his disciples would even wonder where he went. Well, he went to connect with his father through prayer. I love how Paul Miller puts it in his book, The Praying Life. He says this, Jesus is without question the most dependent human being who ever lived. Because he can't do life on his own, he prays and he prays and he prays. Jesus taught and modeled prayer throughout his life. And this morning we get to see a parable about prayer. Jesus tells a simple story that conveys a deeper spiritual truth about the kind of posture that you and I should have when it comes to prayer. Jesus is encouraging us to think about prayer in certain ways through our passage this morning. So to see what I mean, you follow along from Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. Remember, this follows right on the heels of the Lord's prayer. And Jesus said to his disciples, 
Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, this is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Well, if you've been around Trinity Grace for any amount of time, you know and likely hear often, um, and that's great, that we have lots of kids that call this church their home and we love it. We love the joy and the life and the excitement that kids bring. We love the privilege of caring for each other's families as we serve in various ways around the church. You might not know this, but every week there's a count that's taken of how many folks are in the building on Sunday morning. And it's normal for us here at Trinity Grace to have a fairly even split between kids and adults here on Sunday morning. And every once in a while, once in a blue moon, the kids outnumber the adults, which is always a scary report to get on Monday morning. But whether you have kids in your house or not, you get a fairly good sense of what kids are like by simply being around this church. Serving in the nursery, serving in TGC Kids, simply mingling after the service. This is the gym church. Kids love it. And one of the things that stands out about kids is that they are not shy. If you're talking with someone else after church and a child needs something, they are going to come and they're going to interrupt you. When it comes to how they approach their parents when they've got a need, they simply come and ask for what they want or what they need. If they need something from a stranger, they just ask. They're not concerned about their reputation. They're not concerned even about social norms. You know this if you have children in your house. You would never withstand a roommate that acts like your children oftentimes. But if you have children in your home, you know what it's like to be lying in bed. Let's just say you're dead asleep. You roll over, you open your eyes, and there's this little face staring right at you. Maybe needing a glass of water maybe asking for you to come check for monsters under the bed, telling you exactly what they're feeling in the middle of the night. And it's pretty remarkable when you think about it, just how much our kids instinctively trust us, how they instinctively bug us, how they expect us to be caring for them, how they're confident in our love and our acceptance, how they're not worried about overstepping appropriate boundaries. And it reminds me of Matthew chapter 19, when the children, they were crowding around Jesus and the disciples didn't like this very much. They came and they rebuked the children and tried to prevent them from gaining access to Christ. But Jesus responded, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In other words, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the weak, the helpless, 
those who are in tune with their dependence, those who are needy. In light of that teaching, you could say that it is a great way to think of yourself as a little child. It's people like them that are gonna enter the kingdom of God. And the Bible makes a big deal out of the fact that you and I are children of God. And by referring to us as children, there's an implicit claim being made about who we are because you know that children are dependent. Children are often helpless. Children, they've got no real resources. And we're called to rest and to rejoice in the fact that we're children. We're called to adopt and live into the characteristics of children when it comes to how we relate to our Heavenly Father. In fact, the kind of prayer Jesus encourages in this parable makes sense only in light of our adoption as children. We'll only be able to pray to God like Jesus wants us to if we view ourselves as his children. And this is okay. Because the Bible tells us that God's our father and we're his children in Christ. And this image, which is used on the pages of scripture, reminds us how this relationship works. God is creator, we are creature. God is independent and we are completely dependent. God is the one who has all of the resources and we are the ones who are completely needy. J.I. Packer goes so far as to say this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name for God. Look, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is reminding us that we have a charitable and benevolent heavenly father. Jesus is reminding us that we have a kind, loving father. And we're called to live in freedom under his fatherly care this morning. I wonder if you've ever considered the fact that your identity as a child of God is one of your core identities. Maybe the most important identity you have. I mean, think about it. Your identity as a child of God will be your identity through all eternity. None of the identities we carry now, those of father, mother, husband, wife, will be with us forever. Only one identity, the fact that you are a child of God, will never change. And it's your core identity, the one that shapes and forms how you live in this world and relate to God. And as we embrace that identity, it affects how we approach God. It shapes how we pray. Jesus has just taught his disciples how to pray. And now in Luke chapter 11, he encourages them in the proper posture they need to have when it comes to prayer. And I want us to see when it comes to prayer, we should have a posture of boldness. We should have a posture of persistence. And we should have a posture of hope. Those are our three points this morning. A posture of boldness, a posture of persistence, a posture of hope. Let's begin by looking at how Jesus encourages us to have a posture of boldness when it comes to how we approach him in prayer. Well, as we mentioned, the parable Jesus tells in Luke chapter 11 follows on the heels of his teaching his disciples how to pray with what's become known as the Lord's Prayer. In the parable Jesus tells begins with a man who goes to his friend's house at midnight in search of three loaves of bread because a guest has shown up 
and he doesn't have the means to properly show hospitality to his guest. And I want to draw out a few cultural points of significance that might help you appreciate this parable just a little bit more. First, you got to remember, and this seems so obvious, but you've got to remember that there was no electricity in the first century when Jesus told this story. It was literally midnight, the middle of the night, completely dark. And if you were bothered, you couldn't just flip the switch or turn on the flashlight of your iPhone in order to see around. It would have required work to really even understand what was happening. In other words, it was a big deal that this man had awoken his friend in the middle of the night. What's more, most homes in that culture were just one-room homes. They didn't live in 2,500 square foot homes where you could kind of just do what you wanted without bothering the rest of your family. And families in that culture would have slept in a group on the floor in the same bed, so to speak. So for this man to get up and to help, it would have been a huge inconvenience. He would have woken up his entire family. And to take the parable a step further, this request by his friend, it wasn't even an emergency. I mean, after all, he should have planned for hospitality, right? Which was a valued trait in that culture. So what you see from this friend who knocks on the door in the middle of the night is boldness and confidence. He's like a small child in many ways. He's not concerned about reputation. He's not concerned about social norms. He's not concerned about embarrassment for lacking what he should have already had on hand if he had prepared well enough. And in the end, this man gets what he was seeking. He gets bread because he was bold and confident in approaching his friend and approaching the one that he knew could help him. And this parable is forcing you and me to ask the question, when you approach God, when you approach God through prayer, do you normally do it with this kind of freedom and confidence? Or do you approach apologetically and reluctantly? There are lots of reasons why you and I are reluctant to approach our Heavenly Father with this kind of freedom and confidence. More often than not, we don't feel worthy to knock on the door. We don't feel worthy to approach God with confidence. Often we feel shame and guilt when it comes to approaching God. If we're honest, we're not really sure that God wants to hear from us. We're convinced he doesn't want to be inconvenienced by us. We're convinced that our issues aren't important, that we're to blame for the circumstances that we find ourselves in, and so we might as well pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and get ourselves out. It wouldn't be right to approach him with such bold requests. Let me ask you this. If that's the picture you have of coming to the Lord, let me ask you this. What's the picture that comes to mind when you think of Jesus approaching the Father? The picture we get from the Bible is that he's completely welcome. He has full access. He can approach at any time. And the scriptures also are crying out for you to remember, that is you. That is you. We approach the Father clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's as if we are Jesus coming to the Father when we pray, the kind of access we have. In knowing this, believing this, we can pray boldly. In fact, you could say in light of who we are in Christ, many times our prayers are way too weak. We're not bold enough with our prayers. A good question to ask yourself would be, do your prayers ever threaten the enemy? Do your prayers ever threaten Satan? 
the spiritual forces of darkness that are at work in this world, are your prayers bold enough? We can put it another way by asking this, if God answered all your prayers this past week, how would your life in this world be different today? If God has answered all of your prayers that you prayed this past week, what would be different today for you? Normally our prayers lack the kind of boldness that this parable in the rest of the scripture encourages. And it's true that God cares about the smallest details of our life. He wants to hear it all. And we should pray about those things. But do we ever pray bold prayers for our world, for our community? Do we ever pray for conversion? Do we ever pray for justice and mercy to be manifested in our neighborhood? Do we ever pray, Lord, make me a father like you're a father. Make me loving and gracious to my enemies. We should pray boldly for a world where the God-ordained lines of sexuality are not blurred. We should pray confidently for a world where innocent life isn't extinguished in the womb. We should pray for a world where there is no more homelessness, no more poverty on our streets. Those kind of prayers might actually threaten the enemy. That might be what it looks like to storm the gates of hell in many ways. So we see that we approach our Father in prayer, and as we do, we're supposed to approach with a posture of boldness and confidence coming at midnight even for what we need. Next, we see our passage from our passage that we're called to approach with a posture, not just a boldness, but also persistence. We see the idea of persistence highlighted by Jesus in verses eight through 10. Jesus says that it's the man's impudence that finally gets him what he desires. Now, what does that word mean? Impudence means a lack of modesty or shamelessness. So in other words, it's because of this man's shamelessness that he gets what he needs. The knock on the door in the middle of the night would have been a big nuisance. And the man who knocks, he actually knows this. But he's shameless in a sense. He lacks modesty when it comes to requesting what he needs. What counts, according to Jesus, is this man's shameless persistence. That's a great way to to translate that word. In a sense, Jesus is encouraging us to persist in our prayers, even when it looks like God isn't listening. Even when it seems like we've worn out our welcome, Jesus says, continue asking, continue seeking, continue knocking. In fact, these three verbs in the original language are continuous actions. They're activities that persist and persist. Ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. There's a kind of rudeness and discourtesy we see from this man knocking in this parable. And by telling this parable, Jesus is encouraging us, for lack of a better way to say it, to bother God. We should bother God. Jesus is inviting us to wear God out in a sense. I wonder if you've ever bothered God with your prayers. I wonder if you ever over ask. When you step back and think about it, that's only something a little child can do and get away with. It's only something we'll do if we understand that we're little children coming to a father who has power to answer our prayers. This idea of persistence makes sense to us because we're normally, me and you are normally a group of people who are relentless in what we want and we'll stop at nothing to get it. I mean, we'll save, we'll work connections, We'll maneuver, we'll sacrifice, we'll work harder, all to get what we want. And we know what persistence looks like. We know what it means to refuse no for an answer. 
And Jesus wants us to apply that mentality to our prayer life. I wonder what persistence looks like in your prayer life. I know that some of you guys have been praying for years and years that one of your children would place their faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been praying constantly for another child and the Lord is not providing that request. Maybe you've been praying and praying for a spouse or for a renewed marriage or for improved health or for a more fulfilling job. Jesus in this passage, he's inviting us to keep asking, to keep asking. And it's because through our prayers, you are actually being shaped and formed more into a dependent person. It's because prayer is building a relationship with God. It's focusing on him and responding to him as we follow Jesus in this world. We pray persistently. We pray shamelessly because we're invited to do it. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Because prayer changes us. Prayer is formational for us. It was C.S. Lewis who once said this, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes me. In fact, you could say that we become what we pray for in many ways. If you pray for kindness, if you pray for more patience, if you pray for more gentleness, slowly but surely those prayers transform us from the inside out. Our prayers for kindness and purity are actually making us more kind and more pure. We become what we pray for. So the question we need to ask is, what do you want? What do you want in your life? What do you want to see happen in this world? And then then we need to ask and seek and knock. We need to be shamelessly persistent. We should feel the freedom to bother God with our prayers and we should keep asking. And it's important to recognize that Jesus doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we'd like. And there's so much that could be said this morning about prayer, but this is a big one. And it was Tim Keller who once said that if we knew everything that God knows, if we knew everything he knew, then we would want exactly what we have right now. If we knew everything that he knew, we would want to be in exactly the position that we're in today. And sometimes the answer to our prayers are no. This is how one commentator on this passage puts it. Leon Morris, his quote is there for you at the beginning of your bulletin. He says, Jesus does not say and does not mean that if we pray, we'll always get exactly what we ask for. After all, no is just as definite an answer as yes. He's saying that true prayer is neither unheard or unheeded. It's always answered in the way God sees best. And we're invited to keep asking because God delights in persistent prayer. And that kind of prayer shapes us more into the image of Christ. After all, if you read the Gospels, one of the things that you notice that stands out to me is that Jesus is one who would often withdraw to pray. He would leave the crowds. He would leave need that was right in front of him. I mean, he wasn't done healing people. I mean, if he had healed 24-7, he couldn't have healed all the people that needed healing, but he would leave them there to withdraw to desolate places to connect with the Father to pray. And get this, as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see that he doesn't get what he prays for. Do you remember that story? When staring down the prospect of the cross, Jesus asks for another way. 
He says, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He presents his request, but he submits himself to God's good plans. And in the end, God's answer to that prayer in the garden of Gethsemane is no. Because it was best for the life of the world for him to pursue the cross. Now, if Jesus had to pray, if he had to withdraw, if he was persistent in how he approached the father, if he was willing to hear no to his prayers... And if he was God in the flesh, how much more? How much more do we need the same posture in our lives? Jesus invites us to a posture of persistence in this parable, the kind of persistence where we're trying to get someone out of bed in the middle of night. There's a story about Alexander the Great, maybe apocryphal. I've never laid my eyes on the primary source for this story, so take it for what it's worth. It's a preacher's story, I guess you could say. But one of Alexander's officials comes and asks him for a huge sum of money for his daughter's wedding. And as the story goes, everyone around this man scolded him for asking and said he should be embarrassed for his shamelessness. But Alexander gave him the money. And legend has it, he said, this man honors me by showing that he believes I am both incredibly wealthy and extremely generous. And in many ways, that's how Jesus wants us to approach our heavenly father who is incredibly wealthy and extremely generous. And we honor him when we go and believe those things about him with our prayers. Jesus wants us to approach our father with a deep-seated hope that he will do us good and give us all that we need. We see this encouragement in verses 11 and 12 where Jesus asks, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And the answer to that rhetorical question is, no father would do that. It's unthinkable that a human father would give their children harmful gifts, and they have a heart that's inclined towards evil. How much more will our heavenly father, who's perfect, give good things to his children? Look, God has good plans for you plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, the prophet says. He has good intentions toward you. And if you don't believe that, just ask yourself as you look to Jesus, as you look to what Christ has done on your behalf, what more could he give? This is how Paul encourages us in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not also give us our daily bread, our physical sustenance, our spiritual growth? He's already given us what we ultimately need. Our Father has given us what's most important. Will he not also give us all that we need? And knowing who God is, we can approach him with confidence. We can ask with persistence. We can pray with hope, knowing that God is a good Father who desires to give us good things. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are one who invites us to bring our requests as small children would bring, would bring requests to their father, Lord, you invite us 
uh, to come to you with all of our needs, all of our desires, all of our hopes, all of our sin. And you're one who gives us all the good things that we need. We pray that you would help us to believe that more deeply this morning as we trust in you, as we connect to you through prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.